1979, there was a woman who did something amazing. She was a runner, and she participated in the New York City Marathon. And she was not like a world-class athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but she placed 11th in the female division of the New York City Marathon, which was enough to qualify her for the Boston Marathon. In fact, it was so impressive because she had shaved 30 minutes off of her personal best marathon time in New York in order to, to finish this and, and come in 11th. And, and they were asking her, what did you do? How did you train? And she's like, I just trained myself. I just tried really hard. I just did better. Amazing. And I'm not a runner. Praise God. I'm not a runner. Um, <clears throat> but but I, some of you are, Chris, you run marathons, right? Could you imagine shaving 30 minutes off your marathon time? Is, is that a known thing? Very hard to do. Okay. So, so it gets better. The next year she ran the Boston Marathon and she finished first. In fact, she finished with the fastest woman's marathon time in all history. And they interviewed her after the race, and people were just amazed. She hadn't broken a sweat. She was breathing fine. She was just evidently in such athletic shape that this marathon did not phase her whatsoever. And she was just amazed that she had won the marathon. There should be some red flags going up in your minds right about now. Somebody came forward. People started having these doubts. And somebody came forward and said, I remembered seeing that woman in New York during the marathon on the subway. That's right. She cheated. She started the race running, left the race course, took the subway to the end. And in New York, she was smart and she waited long enough till some of the the front runners went by. And then she went out and she finished 11th. She messed up in Boston. She meant to wait longer and didn't realize that the front runners had not gone by already. And of course, the front runners, they knew all along. They had been told, you're in first, you're in second, you're in third. And they get to the end, and this girl's in first, and they're like, I never saw her pass me. The people monitoring the checkpoints said, we never saw her at the checkpoints. We don't know what she did necessarily in Boston. If she took a cab or a bus. Do they have subways in Boston? I don't think they do. But she cheated. That, that's the basis of it. She started running with everyone else, but then she veered off course to take a shortcut, and she cheated. She was stripped of her title and her records, and I believe banned from the sport professionally or competitively. She ended up at some point going to jail for embezzling money and another scam that she was running. It was a whole thing. Our text today is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Open up to Colossians chapter 2. We're just in three verses this morning, which again, does not mean it's a short sermon, but three verses this morning. 
These three verses are at the heart and soul of the book of Colossians. In fact, this is a turning point in Colossians. I've called the the, uh, series Watershed, and the idea is that Paul presents Jesus Christ in Colossians as the watershed of all history, that turning point of all history, the turning point for us as individuals and for the entire world. In many ways, these verses here are the watershed of Colossians. It's the turning point of the book. He sums up everything he said up to this point, and then he introduces where he's going to go next in the book of Colossians. He's going to continue this idea from Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, where he challenged them to walk worthy or live in a worthy manner based on who Jesus Christ is. So he's going to pick that up and apply it, and the rest of the book is going to be about what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we live as Christians worthy of our Savior? What difference should that make in our life? And he introduced in chapter 1 this idea of we must know who Jesus is. Chapter 1 is is just an incredible uh, sermon from Paul. It's a hymn about who Jesus Christ is. Chapter uh, 1, he lays out the deity of Jesus Christ and the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ. And then we come to 2, 6, and 7, which he starts by saying, continue where you started. Don't get off course. Remember how you started. Continue in that way. Grow in that way. That's kind of 6 into 7. And then 8 is a warning. 8 actually introduces the next section. We're going to deal with it more uh, next week. But we need to tie it in today to understand why the warning is there. So let me put the verses before us. You can read them for yourself. I'll be reading out of the NIV, Colossians 2, 6 through 8. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So he starts at the beginning. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, and he uses that because he he wants to talk about something else, but he starts and says, okay, remember this, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, but I think we need to hit the pause button there. Okay, Paul, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? What, What does it mean to receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Now, this is, for Paul, a shorthand way of saying you became a Christian. You received Christ Jesus as your Lord. You accepted the gospel. You became a Christian. But there's an emphasis here we must not miss. Paul uses the phrase Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Lord. He uses those three words often. But this place in the Greek language is in an order and a way, kind of a grammatical structure that Paul never uses it this way anywhere else. And people aren't really sure, but looking at it, I think if nothing else, Paul is drawing attention. It's like the flashing neon light saying, don't miss this. And the emphasis here is Christ Jesus as Lord. Lord. What does it mean that Christ Jesus is our Lord? 
What, what impact does that have in our salvation and in our life? Now, I want to be clear, in case you know a little bit about Greek, um, I know a little bit about Greek, not a scholar by any means, um, but the word for Lord, it's curios, has nothing to do with our English word curious. It's not related whatsoever. It just sounds like it. But it, it means Lord. Um, it can also be used as a title of respect, sir. In fact, when the Jewish leaders go to Pilate to tell him after the crucifixion to seal the tomb, and they say, sir, we remember when this guy was alive, he said these things. It's Lord, Lord. So it can be just a title of respect. That's not the way Paul uses it, though. It's so much more. You see, at this time in history, they had taken the Old Testament and translated it into Greek, which was the language most of them spoke. And the word they used for Yahweh in the Old Testament, the absolute perfect holy name of God, the translation into Greek was Kyrios, Lord. And so Paul uses it in that way. You have received Jesus Christ as Lord God Almighty to kind of bring in a Jewish understanding of it. Let's look at what Paul means by this. If we go back to chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, we see him talking about uh, the Colossians' faith. And he says, you heard the gospel, you heard the good news about Jesus Christ from Paul's friend Epaphras. Remember, Paul's never been there himself. Uh, He had converted Epaphras through the gospel, and Epaphras went back home and shared the gospel with the Colossians. And people came to know Jesus as their Savior. And he talks about how their lives were changed. They've shown evidence that they have trusted in Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, 9 to 14, he then prays for them. I pray that you grow in that. Become mature. Grow in your understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And then in verses 15 through 20, we have this incredible picture of the deity of Jesus Christ. This hymn that either something Paul is writing this hymn or quoting parts of a hymn or or just writing the letter, we're not sure. But what he says about Jesus is amazing. First and foremost, he says, Jesus is God. He's not second in charge. He's not lesser on the rung of authority in heaven. He is equal to God in all ways. Jesus is God. He goes on to say, all things were created through Jesus Christ. We look at the world around us, and Paul says, yes, it's true. We go back to Genesis, God created all things. But Paul says, understand how he did that through Christ. And then he says, understand why he did that for Christ. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of existence? What's the purpose of the world? There it is. The purpose of the world, the purpose of your life is Jesus Christ. That's Paul's big picture of Jesus. Everything exists to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. He goes on, says all things are held together by Jesus Christ. What keeps the world working? What keeps the earth spinning? What makes physics and chemistry work? What keeps society running at all and keeps everything from just falling apart? The answer is Jesus Christ. This is the big picture of what Paul means by Jesus Christ is Lord. And then in verse 20 of chapter 1, he says this Jesus, this God, who is worthy of this glory, He died on the cross for you. He says, that's the gospel. That's the good news 
that Jesus Christ, Lord God Most High, came and died in our place that we might be saved. So that's what Paul is saying here. By receiving Christ Jesus as Lord, we must accept that Jesus is God. He is Lord Most High, sovereign over heaven and earth and sovereign over our life and all of history. He is the very reason for which we exist. So he's talking to the Colossians and saying, remember how you received Jesus? You you received him as Lord. But I think we need to stop there and say, have we received Jesus this way? Is, Is that the gospel we received? Is that the gospel we believed that Jesus is my Lord? I think often we talk about Jesus being our friend and that's good. It's true. Jesus is our friend, but he is our king and Lord, who's also a friend. We say Jesus gives us hope. I have a hope. We just sang about it. That's true. Jesus gives us hope, but he gives us hope because he is Lord most high over heaven and earth, life and death. That's why he's our hope. We say Jesus is our savior, and that's absolutely true. But why is he qualified to be our savior? Because he's Lord God most high, who took our place on the cross. For Paul, being a Christian is to accept that Jesus is Lord. He is our God, our authority, and our sovereign ruler in all things. The purpose and reason for our existence. He is the one who determines the course of our lives. He is the watershed of all history, the watershed of the church, and the watershed of our lives. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. So ask yourself, Is this the Jesus you received? Do you trust that he is king, God, sovereign, most high, Lord of heaven and earth? We are always to be growing in this. There's always more about this we can get to know and apply to our lives. But we need to ask that most fundamental question. Do I accept that Jesus is my sovereign Lord? So we begin by trusting in Jesus as our Lord, and then sometimes we want to move on to something else. Like, I got it. Yep, Jesus checked the box, prayed the prayer, said the thing, believed it in my heart. That's great. Now give me the good stuff. Tell me how to live now. Tell me how to do this, because I got that, and now I just want to take control of my life, and I've got this. I'm going to do it for Jesus. I'm going to work it all out. Or I want something deeper and more spiritual. What does it really look like to live as a Christian? Give me the secret things that will help me to be super righteous and holy. Too often we start by trusting in Jesus as Lord. And then we get off course and we start thinking it's up to us to work really hard to work out everything in this world. And Paul goes on to say we must continue with Christ Jesus as Lord. We must keep going in that same faith. What does it mean to be a deeper, spiritual, more mature Christian? It means to keep trusting in Christ Jesus as your Lord. There's nothing secret to it. There's nothing magical to it. It's growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul tells them and us, continue as you began. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And then he gives four really important words to help us understand what that looks like. 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Do you remember, and maybe you don't, maybe this wasn't the way it was for you, but I remember being at a camp, and it was like our youth group had gone on a retreat. I think I was in junior high or so. And, and praying a prayer, and like people were weeping and hugging one another. It was so beautiful, and we were so excited. It was just so amazing. And then like you wake up the next day, and there's kind of this, now what? And, and you, you expect like this weeping and, and beauty and just glory to go on and on and on. But then like you have to go to work. For me, I had to go to school. There's still homework to be done. My mom's still on my case about cleaning my room. It's not like, boom, everything changed, right? And, and so we start thinking, well, what now? Some start looking for like this great knowledge. Just study really deep theology. I love studying theology, love studying deep theology. But it can become this idol, like this pride of, okay, I became a Christian, but now I'm a really good Christian because I'm so much smarter than you. And, and let's talk about this. And you need to tell me what you believe on this. Oh, you've never heard of this guy? Oh, you must not be that serious about Christ. Have you ever been in situations like that? People start taking pride in their knowledge. Some take pride in their religious practices. Well, I do this, I eat this, or I don't eat that. I celebrate this in this way, and I don't celebrate that. Oh, you don't do that? You don't do it that way. You must not be as spiritual as me. Some look for other religious ideas or philosophical ideas in this world. I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ and in the Bible, but, you know, so-and-so in our world says this today, and I've kind of found a way to mesh that in with my faith, and I think it is more deep and meaningful Paul's telling them, continue as you started. Continue to walk in him. Live in him. And so he uses these four important words. He says, first, we are to be rooted in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Rooted in Christ. I remember when I was first a youth pastor in Chicago. And it was, I don't know if this is like still a thing, but I don't know, for some reason, everybody felt like they had to name the youth ministry. Like you had to come up with the coolest name. I've never been a real cool guy. I know it's hard to accept. Um, just never have. And so I, I, I was struggling with what do we name the youth ministry. And I came to these verses. And these Colossians 2, 6, and 7 are my theme verses in ministry. This, this is what I go back to. Why do I do what I do? What is it I'm supposed to do? Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Help people to go deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to bring that into the ministry. So I came up with this really cool, hip, awesome youth ministry name. It was Taproot. Taproot. And the kids responded exactly as you just did. Like, <laughs> huh? I don't know that it ever caught on. I don't know that I ever cared that it caught on or not. That's what they were. We had a website. We had t-shirts. It was awesome. Taproot. Do you know what a taproot is? Probably not, because that's why people respond that way. Like, what in the world? I think uh, dandelions have a taproot. Not all plants do, but a taproot is like that one big central root that goes down, and then the other little roots come off of it. So the taproot is the central root that everything else feeds into, and then the taproot feeds the plant. And the reason I called the ministry that is that that's what Paul's talking about. Be rooted in Christ. Make Christ Jesus your taproot. Sink your roots down deep into him. Draw up nourishment from the truth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. 
Psalm chapter 1, or Psalm 1 rather, the psalmist refers to a righteous person as one that is like a tree planted by streams of water, drawing up nourishment in season and out of season and bearing fruit. What a beautiful picture of a mature Christian drawing up consistently and constantly nourishment from Jesus Christ. We must sink the roots of our life deep down into our Savior, Jesus Christ. He then goes on to say we must be built up in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Built up can mean built upon, like a a foundation. Other translations use the word established or built upon. The point is how the building is being built. Could you imagine a construction firm and they come in and they always start like they clear the space and then they lay the the footers and the foundation, right? If you've ever seen a construction site, this is kind of how it has to start. They lay the foundation first. The building is put on top of the foundation. Could you imagine someone coming in and building a foundation and it's, you know, square or whatever. And then the builders come in to build and they build it over here. And like that was square and this is round and it's in a totally different place. You wouldn't do that because that's dumb. That's, that's the secure site. And that's what Paul is tapping into. He says, build your lives up on Jesus Christ. He is your foundation and the thing that determines how you build your life. We must allow the foundation of Jesus Christ to determine how our lives are built and shaped and used and the purpose for which they exist. He says we must be strengthened. Now, it's interesting. This word isn't actually about like strengthen in terms of growing stronger. It's more like be strong in. Be strong in this. Find your strength in this. Be established in it. We are to find our strength in the truth, the unchanging truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. You want to be strong in something? Be strong in your faith in the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he says, overflowing with thankfulness. Thankfulness is a natural part of Christian maturity. And it ties into our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. If we believe he is God most high, then as we navigate the waters of our lives and things come along, we say, God, you are in control. All things exist for you. Any blessing I have comes from you. Therefore, I will be thankful to you. And no matter what I'm going through, you are still in charge and still in control. And I can still give thanks to you. It's more than just being thankful for things. It is reinterpreting our lives to be lived as an act of thankfulness to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the rest of the letter is really going to lay out what he means by that. What does it mean to live a life overflowing with thankfulness? What difference does Christ make in our lives? That's what he gets to uh, really in the end of chapter 2 and then verses or chapters 3 and 4. Paul's using a point here that Jesus made in his preaching. John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you hear that? Remain in, connected to. Don't jump off the racetrack and go look for a bus with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Stay on course. If he is Lord most high, sovereign over heaven and earth, do you really think you're going to find something better? The answer is no. Stay on course. Continue in Jesus. 
He reminds them they started by trusting in Jesus as Lord. That's what they were taught. And now he says, keep on trusting him. Keep growing in that. So let me ask you again. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord now? If you prayed a prayer one day, that's awesome. And that's great. If you were totally on fire for Jesus one day, that's awesome. And that's great. But today, are you continuing with the truth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, sovereign over your life? We never move on from trusting in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The one who was sovereign in shaping creation, who is sovereign over all the workings of creation and all of history, who is the sovereign goal and purpose for all creation, do we trust in him, in his sovereign purposes for our lives today and for our world today? It's easy to turn on the news. What was it, Monday? The, uh, the crisis care center in Buffalo got firebombed? Tragedy. And we can look at these things and say, oh my goodness, the world is out to get us. Yeah, it's true. Bible kind of says that. Like, we shouldn't be surprised. But then we go from there and we say, oh my goodness, everything's falling apart. The world's coming to an end. Yeah, it is. It's coming to his end. It's coming to Jesus' foreordained conclusion that he is sovereign over and will only ever come when he says so. Because he's Lord Most High. He's sovereign. Do we trust that now, no matter what? And then Paul leaves us with this warning. Don't be deceived. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. We're going to come back and look at that in more detail next week. But today, I just need to lay out before us the reason for which Paul goes in this direction is that the possibility and the danger of being deceived is very real. It is an ever-present danger. They were being deceived with these hollow and deceptive philosophies which depended on human traditions and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. It's why throughout the book of Colossians, he keeps going back to who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? You want to talk politics? That's great. Start with who is Jesus Christ. You want to talk, talk ethics and morality? That's great. Start with who is Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ is the most important question for all of us. And everything else about us and how we live in this world today comes out of the answer to that question. Who is Jesus Christ? And so Paul starts there in this letter. He emphasizes Christ. He is sovereign. He is God. And then he suggests they were in danger in moving on from Christ, getting off course. They were being deceived into thinking Christ was not enough. Chapter 2, verses 16 to 23, we'll look at Paul warning. Paul warns them about empty religious practices. We're falling back on some traditions and, and just some motions to go through that would make them righteous, and they were forgetting about Jesus. Paul warns them throughout the, this letter, there were things in their culture 
modern movements and ideas that were coming in and they were being kind of roped into them. This is great. I believe in Jesus, but I'm also going to trust in these things and I'll be like an extra good Christian. And he says, don't move on from Jesus Christ. You know, in many ways, they were facing the struggle to be more enlightened, more modern, more progressive in their world. We face the same struggles today. We need this warning today. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. We become captive to current ideas when any idea becomes more important to us than Jesus Christ. I remember growing up often people would would preach on priorities and they said, if you just want to really understand your priorities in this world, take a look at your checkbook. I haven't looked at my checkbook in years. Like I don't even know where it is half the time. I don't know how many of us really use a checkbook anymore. But the point was like, look where you spend your money, right? Look at your app. Look at your bank account. Where do you spend your money? But go further than that. Where do you spend your time? But not just in your schedule, in your calendar, in your mind. Where do you spend the time in your mind? What are you thinking about and dwelling on constantly? What do you worry about? What do you think? Well, if this doesn't happen, then the world's going to fall apart. Is Jesus greater than that? Don't be deceived by anything else. These things come along and say, we're the most important thing. You have to make a decision right now. Are you on this side? Are you on that side? And sometimes the best Christian answer is, I'm not really sure, but I'm with Jesus. And I'm following him. Come what may. I am not going to move on from Jesus Christ. We become captive to other ideas in our culture when we start thinking that the sovereign Power in our world is culture or politics or entertainment or anything else. It's good to have political convictions and opinions. But we are captive to a hollow and deceptive philosophy when we trust in those convictions more than we trust in Jesus. Politics will not change the world. Jesus changes the world. He is Lord Most High. It's not enough to just have the right Christian convictions. It's not enough to just come to a decision and say, I don't know what I should think on this and this. I made a decision. This is what it means to be a Christian. I believe in this. And then we go out and we're so rude and mean and awful to people who disagree with us. We must not only have Christian convictions, we must walk or live in a Christian way as we carry out those convictions. Because the world doesn't need to see your convictions. It needs to see Jesus. And Jesus is demonstrated, yes, in our choices, but also in our attitudes, our actions, our worries, our prayers, our priorities, our day-to-day lives. We must apply our trust in Jesus Christ to every situation, live our lives as an expression of trust, which will include and lead to being thankful. And we must submit in every area of our lives to the sovereign authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Friends, there's no bus. There's no subway. There's no shortcut. There's no better way 
The world has never and will never come up with this idea of here's the silver bullet, just believe it and you'll be happy. Or here's the thing, if everybody would just accept it, the world would be a better place. Jesus is the course. Stay the course in Jesus Christ. We start there in Jesus. We must continue there in Jesus, sinking our roots down deep, being built up, staying strong and overflowing with thankfulness. Jesus Christ was Lord over the changing culture, political pressures, economic situations, cultural differences, and Colossae 2,000 years ago. He was God. He was Lord. And Paul challenges them, stay with Jesus, continue in Christ. Jesus Christ is sovereign today over changing culture, changing values, changing ideas, political pressures. He is still Lord Most High. So let me ask you, have you received Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Are you continuing in your life trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Take stock of your life and ask yourself, are there some ways in which I'm being deceived by substitutes, pulled off course, looking for the shortcut, the bus and the subway that'll take me to the finish line in an easy way. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need this challenge in our life and in our world. The situations we face can feel overwhelming. They can feel like these new modern situations that are so different. They're not that different. Our culture and our world has always been out to redefine reality in terms that are acceptable to certain groups of people. And there's always been pressure on others to accept those definitions, those terms, that way of living. There has always been pushback about, toward those who would trust in your word and believe that you are the ultimate authority. That is the greatest offense against the ideas, the timeless ideas of this world, that somehow we think we are in charge. And that our personal freedom and our personal happiness is the of utmost importance. And the gospel comes in and talks to us about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we are confronted with the truth that you are God and we are not. That you are sovereign and we are not. That we exist for your purposes and that we exist for your purposes and not the other way around. Father, how often we have tried to redefine who you are in terms of who we want you to be. And I pray, Father, that we would bow our ideas at the foot of your throne. That we would look at the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord God most high. We would submit to his sovereign rule and authority in our lives. We would live our lives in that submission as an act of gratitude and worship to him. 
Because, Father, I think our world desperately needs to see something more than the subways and the buses that it's finding itself on. We have tried to take shortcut after shortcut. And ultimately, we end up just getting ourselves more lost. You have put us here to proclaim and display the goodness of your sovereign authority. Help us as Christians to live trusting in you as we started in Christ to continue in Christ and to not be led astray or deceived by anything else. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.